If you have your Bibles, if you can turn to Joshua chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 9. And as you're getting the chapter, um, take your time. I'll just pray. Uh, Father God, we just um, thank you so much, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sin. Lord, I'm so unworthy. We're all so unworthy. But it's only because of your blood, Father, that our sin has been cleansed, that we're forgiven, Lord, that, that all of our shame and our guilt has been nailed to the cross. And so we thank you so much for that, Lord. Help us never forget, Lord, that we are so undeserving. But Lord, as the song said, Lord, your love is so rich and it's so abundant in our lives. So for that, we're thankful. And we ask that as we study your word, Father, that you would speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 If you guys had turned to your Bibles, um, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9 is where we're at. As we start looking at the book of Joshua, you know, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that this is a time of transition in the nation of Israel. You know, Moses is going to die. God's going to appoint Joshua to take over. And imagine taking over a nation of about 2 million people. And this is the middle of the desert here, right? They're in the wilderness. And Joshua is going to be asked to take over this nation of 2 million people. And it's a time of transition. And it's a time of change. And in our lives, you know, we have changes and we have transitions. You know, it's a change when you start a new job. There's a change when perhaps you get married or perhaps you have kids. There's a change, you know, that happens when you move somewhere into a new place. Right now, you look around the world around us, there's a lot of change going on outside with everything we're hearing in the news. And right now, Joshua is stepping on the scene in the midst of great change. And in verse 1, we read this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... You know, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7, that Moses died at 120 years old. And when he died, you know, the Bible says that his eyes were not dim and his, and his natural vigor was not gone. You know, he was a strong man when he died. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, And so we read that Moses has died. He's not allowed to enter the promised land. Because in Numbers chapter 20, in the wilderness of Zin, God had told Moses to speak to the rock. Moses instead, in his anger, he struck the rock. And therefore, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. And as Joshua takes over, you know, he's Moses' assistant. He's going to take over. Verse 2, God says this. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise... Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. And so remember, this is a nation of two million people that's going to cross over the Jordan. And verse 3, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. So Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. It's only fitting that Joshua, 
the, the Hebrew transliteration of the name Jesus, Yeshua, would lead them into the promised land. And if you look at the boundaries of the land here, you know, if you go home and you take a map, and you look at the boundaries of the land, you know, the Bible says, as far as Lebanon, to the great river Euphrates, this would encompass much of the Middle East, Egypt, the Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq. You know, imagine how large this piece of land is. But you, you see, the application to our lives, it's not about land. Because when you become a Christian, it's not as if you, know, you get a, a nice little house by the seashore or you get land. We have something much greater than land. And what we have is this. We have Jesus, our inheritance. You see, we, we enter into the promised land, and our promised land is Jesus. It's fellowship with Him. It's greater than any amount of land you can have, much better than any, other, any house you could ever own, much more joyful than any amount of money you could ever have in your life. Jesus is greater than any promised land that you could have. Because in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. We have the redemption by His blood. We have purpose and we have a calling. You know, we have, we, we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Right now, as you look around outside, you watch the news and you look at what's happening in the stores. There's panic and chaos and everyone's screaming and everyone's anxious. But in the midst of that, we have Jesus, much greater than any promised land. In Christ, we have spiritual fruit. You know, we can have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. In the midst of all this chaos, when we're right with God, you can have that peace. You know, a friend was telling me today that he was at um, BJ's Wholesale Club, and the lines were out the door, and he said that he saw two gentlemen, they accidentally hit their shopping carts together, by accident. Turned out to be a huge fight. You know, it's, it's crazy what happens in the world. And it's sad. But in Christ, we have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We have something much greater than the promised land. And in verse 5, as we keep reading, God's going to say this, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now listen to what he says. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You see, victory was not assured because of their military plan. Victory wasn't assured because they were strong or because they were smart. God gave them the assurance of victory because he promised his presence. God gave them the assurance of victory because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you feel like the loneliest person in the world. Perhaps you feel forsaken or abandoned. Maybe right now you just feel like there's a, a deep pit in your heart and you feel so lost and so lonely. The God of the universe says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Mm-hmm. Jesus in Matthew 28 said this. He said, I am with you always. He said this to the disciples. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, even when you feel alone, you are not alone because the God of the universe is with you. And Psalm 139, verse 7. You guys know this psalm. The psalmist says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. You see, in the face of betrayal, the God of the universe says that He will never leave you nor forsake you. When you feel abandoned, the God of the universe says He will never leave you nor forsake you. When you feel like you know, someone's passed away in your life and you're grieving, the God of the universe says He will never leave you nor forsake you. In the midst of great divorce, perhaps a divorce that's painful, the God of the universe doesn't leave you. And He says this in verse 6. God's going to say this. Be strong and of good courage. Listen to those words. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which was swore to their fathers to give them. Remember, God is calling Joshua now to lead two million people. And he says, be strong and be courageous. Christian, in the midst of a chaotic world, God says to you and me, be strong, be courageous. Because in First Timothy, Paul would say this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Did you hear that? God has not given us a spirit of fear, you see, when the rent is due on the 31st and you got no money, God says don't fear. When you get the unexpected bill in the mail and you can't pay it, God says don't fear. When you unexpectedly lose your job, the God of the universe says don't fear. When the lab results come back and they show cancer, the God of the universe says you know, don't fear. Now I've been in situations where you know, I've had $100 in my bank account, and I had a lot more bills than that to pay. You know, and I've gotten that $1,000 bill or that health bill. And in the midst of those situations, each and every time, God showed up. It's not that every bill got paid, but I always had the peace of God that surpassed all understanding in the midst of all that chaos. God never leaves us nor forsakes us. You know, there's a story I want to share. It's about a story that happened during um, the, 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 the concentration camps of World War II in Nazi Germany. And I'm going to read this story to you. There's no denying that life in Nazi concentration camps was truly hell. Located in southern Poland, the Auschwitz death camp was the largest of the concentration and extermination camps. During World War II, millions of Jewish people and perceived enemies of the Nazis were sent to their deaths in concentration camps. Upon hearing about these atrocities, a 39-year-old veteran of the Polish-Soviet War and member of the resistance, Wytold Pilecki, volunteered to be imprisoned at Auschwitz to secretly collect intelligence and then escape. I don't know if you caught that or not. This guy volunteered to be imprisoned at Auschwitz. And I'm going to keep reading the story. While in the concentration camp, Pilecki was responsible for informing the Allies of the tragedies of Auschwitz and organizing a resistance movement. In 1943, after three years in Auschwitz, Pilecki escaped. He took part in the Warsaw Uprising in August 1944 and served the London-based police government in exile. But he was executed in 1948 by Stalin's police for foreign imperialism. His exploits were suppressed by the Communist Party for years, and it wasn't until 1989 that the world 
compared to this heroic man and his bravery. Here's a man who could have enjoyed all the luxury of the world and retired. Volunteers to be in prison at Auschwitz. Helps many people escape and is later executed. You see, as believers, we're not called to walk in fear. We're called to walk in boldness. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the choice to move forward in the midst of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the choice to move forward in the midst of fear. And God is telling Joshua right now, be strong, be courageous. And in verse 7, God's going to say this a second time. Only be strong and very courageous. Notice the word very there. God says, be very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Notice here the focus God says for the second time, only be strong and very courageous. You ever have anything just scared the daylights out of you? You know, it scares you so much that you just, you know, you're just kind of bewildered. There's a reason why God says this a second time. And sometimes you and I need to hear it a second time. Be strong, be courageous. And notice the focus here. God is going to shift and talk about his word. He's going to say in verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You see, God didn't command Joshua to get a military plan together. He didn't command him to figure out how to get the soldiers strong and healthy. All he told him was this, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth day and night. God's command to him was to commit wholeheartedly to the word of God and to obey. And so how do we do this? Three ways here, if you look at verse 8. Number one, he says, the word of God shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, God's word should be on our lips. Number two, we should meditate on it day and night. God's word should be on our mind. And number three, we should observe to do according to all that's written in it. In other words, we should do it, not just to listen to it and not just to meditate on it, but finally to do it. And the result, he says this, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And this isn't a name it, name it, and claim it teaching. Because biblical prosperity is this. Biblical prosperity is not about great money or great fame or material possessions. Jesus, our Savior, was not wealthy. In 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 8, verse 9, the Bible says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was very rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, biblical prosperity and success is this. It's knowing Christ and fulfilling His call for our lives. It's doing the good works that God has prepared for us to do. And you read this verse from verse 8, and you would think, why in the world would God just tell Joshua just to read a book? It's the same reason He tells us to read the book and to read God's Word. Because there are great blessings in meditating in God's Word. Now, Psalm 119, verse 103 says this, 
How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. God's word brings satisfaction. There have been seasons in my life where we had no money at all. $100 in a bank account, tons of bills to pay. You know what strengthened me? It was God's word. It was the voice of the creator of the universe speaking to me every morning. God's word says that there's a blessing of great peace. In Psalm 119, verse 165, the Bible says this, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. You hear that? Great peace. In the midst of a world right now that's going absolutely crazy, in the midst of a world right now that's in chaos, we can have great peace as we sit down with God's word and hear the voice of the God of the universe. Great peace from God's word is what he promises us. God's word is a comfort in depression and great affliction. Psalm 119 verse 50 says this, This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. Perhaps you're sitting here right now and there's depression in your life and no one knows about it. Or maybe there's great affliction and nobody knows but you. God's word is a source of great peace in the midst of affliction. The psalmist said, this is my comfort in my affliction. It gives me life. God's word is a source of spiritual sustenance. First Peter verse two, chapter 2, verse 2 says this, As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. You know, at grocery stores, there's no more water, and I think milk is running pretty low. Yeah. But God's word is a source of spiritual sustenance in our lives. Whatever the world runs out of, God's word will never run out of. God's word is a source of spiritual sustenance in our lives. God's word ignites a spiritual fire in our hearts. The more we study his word, the more of a fire we have in our hearts. You know, in Luke chapter 24, we read about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. That they're walking along the road to Emmaus after Jesus' you know, crucifixion. And it says in chapter, uh, uh, chapter 24, verse 32, they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? You see, as they're on the Emmaus road, Jesus appears to them. and They don't know it's him. But he starts expounding the word of God to them. And it says in verse 32 that their hearts were on fire as he was teaching. Listen, if you need your heart to be on spiritually, uh, spiritually on fire, it begins with God's Word. It begins with studying and digging deep into God's Word. You know, you think about you know, how much a phone can do now. You know, when I grew up, we had payphones everywhere. And it was a cool thing to have a bunch of quarters and use a payphone and call a friend. You know, that was like that was pretty cool back then. I'm sure you guys have other stories of how it was before phones and things like that. <laughs> but nowadays, you know, you can take a phone and you can pretty much do anything. You know, you could, you know, share a video with someone. You could send an email. You can send a missed message. You can send a tweet. You can spend all this time on your phone reading about things and looking at pictures and seeing what people are doing. And we know so much about the world and we know so much about each other through our phones. Yet, we know so little about God's Word. You see, in my life, I realize this. I need to tune out the phone 
and tune in to God's Word. And I see that in my life every single day. Because here's what I know. There's nothing more satisfying than knowing the God of the universe and hearing Him speak. You see, right now you're sitting in a room that's pretty still, right? Everyone's chair is pretty solid. The room is still. But do you realize right now the earth is spinning at 24,000 miles per hour? Think about that. Right now, you're all spinning at 24,000 miles per hour around the Earth's axis. And then on top of that, the Earth is spinning at 66,000 miles per hour around the sun. You ever try twirling like in a room? Imagine what God sees on Earth. This Earth is spinning so fast on its axis and spinning around the sun so fast, we have no idea how big and mighty God is. We have no understanding. We can't even comprehend how mighty God is. And yet, He speaks to us through His Word. And He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. And finally, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Third time, God's going to say this. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know that word, dismayed, it's from the Hebrew word hathat, which can be translated broken in pieces. When God says, do not be dismayed, he's saying, don't be broken in pieces. Yeah, we feel that way sometimes. But God says, be strong and be courageous. It's a wonderful promise to know that God is going to be with you wherever you go. You think about the story of Joseph. When Joseph gets you know, sold by his brothers from Egypt, and he, and he gets sold by his brothers and ends up in Egypt. And he's in Potiphar's house. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 39, verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he do to prosper in his hand. You see, Joseph prospered because God was with him. You read later in verse 23 in the same chapter. Joseph ends up in prison. Imagine prison. Here's this dark dungeon He's chained somewhere, you know, completely dark. He's probably in there for five to seven years, commentators speculate. But here's what the Bible says. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord who was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Even in prison, even in that dark dungeon, God was with Joseph. You read in the book of Samuel, in Samuel chapter 3, verse 19. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. We read in 1 Samuel 18, verse 12, about David. Now Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him. But he had departed from Saul, and David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. You read in 2 Kings 18, about King Hezekiah. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. Here's the common theme. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. You know, I was just thinking about this today, with this whole coronavirus thing. With the hospitals run out of beds, which people say may happen, and they send you home. And you're sitting alone, you know, in your little room with the coronavirus, and here you are, sick. You know, it might be a sad picture to think about it. But if you had Jesus in your life, I would much rather have the great physician standing next to me than any other physician in the world. 
Because as a believer, the great physician is with you. As a believer. Listen, the God of the universe is with you. You know, I remember when my daughter, you know, she's four now, when she was three months old, we thought that she had cancer. We took her to a normal pediatric appointment. The doctor looked in her eyes. She, they saw something. Literally within 24 hours, they got to us. They got us to Will's Eye Hospital. Um, they had to speak to one of the best doctors there. I mean, to get an appointment with this lady takes years. But the case was so urgent, they, they squeezed us in within 24 hours. And I remember standing there in the doctor's office. I don't know if you can relate to this, but when the doctor gives you bad news, you know, you're kind of just waiting for them to come into the door. And I'm thinking, God, what's going to happen? Is she going to recommend chemotherapy? Is she going to say that this is it? It's stage four cancer. Is she going to say that this is done? And to give you some context, right, our, our pediatrician has said that there's a 99% chance that this is eye cancer. And this is a 99% chance that there's going to be some major eye damage. Try sleeping on that, you know, if that's your daughter or, or son. And so I remember standing there and just thinking, Lord, we're just putting this in your hands. And that morning my devotion was from Samuel. And the, and, the, and the scripture went something like this. Just stand still and wait on the Lord and he will deliver you. So think about this. 99% of the cancer, chance of cancer. And so we're sitting there. The doctor comes in. She's a very world-renowned surgeon. She comes in with eight other doctors. That's how much authority she had. And they, they take my daughter, they hold her down. My daughter's screaming, she's three months old. They're looking in her eye, you know. Each doctor's holding a limb down, looking in her eye, trying to see what's happening. The doctor walks over to us, and she says, this is a miracle. There's nothing there. I'm like, what? He said, this is remarkable. There's nothing there. And I thought, God, you just healed my daughter? You know, what, what happened? The prayers were answered. The prayers were answered, exactly. Now, now, let me give you some context. Does that happen every time? No. There are people that I know that have passed away from cancer. There are people that I've known that are very sick. But you know what? I'll take what I can get. Because he, he's a miracle healing God. We serve an almighty, powerful master of the universe who loves us deeply. And so when I say that the God of the universe says that he will never leave you nor forsake you, he really means it. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When I say that the God of the universe speaks to you through the Bible, through his word, you better believe it. He will speak to you through his word. When I tell you that the God of the universe holds the universe in his hands and he spins the earth on his fingers, you better believe it. That's your God. There's nothing you have to worry about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.